economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, producer and graduate assistant for the Gordney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Okay, so I um, wanted to play off uh, a news blurb I heard this morning on NPR, and it was regarding the city council members in Los Angeles. And you might know that they got into some hot water with some recordings, and so we're not really here to talk about that today, but rather um, what they've done since then. I think there was three council members involved, and one has resigned, and there are two left that are refusing to resign. And what came out today was that their base salary is $218,000 per year, which blew me away coming from Iowa, where I don't think it was much more than, I don't know, 15 to 20,000, which was more of a nominal thing where people kind of keep their keep their regular job and then go do the city council work as part of public service type of thing. Granted, L.A. is huge, uh, second most populated city in our nation, uh, second behind New York and Manhattan. So uh, I could see it being a full-time job. I guess I'm not knocking knocking that, uh, that there would be a lot of things to cover, but 218,000. And then it only got better that there was a 66,000 per year pension, uh, which brings us up to 284. And they also get a city vehicle to drive around and an allowance for travel expenses and meals um, as they're probably making the rounds to their constituents. So all of that just shocked me. I I really couldn't believe that we'd have public officials um, earning that type of pay. And I thought it brought up a nice topic for us to discuss on, on incentives, since we know incentives matter. And uh, maybe you're thinking, well, that's L.A., it's not Iowa, and it's not Kansas and whatnot. Well, I I did a quick cost of living for uh, Kansas City here in the Midwest, and uh, $141,000 would be roughly equivalent to $218,000. And so $141,000 is still well above the median incomes here in the Midwest, and that's a decent pay for a single person to be earning. I mean, there's 141, I think, puts you above a large fraction of the of the households, uh, combined earners uh, here in the in the Midwest. And then uh, the article went on further to say that uh, some of the areas, the median income, even in California, was in that 40 to 50 range in different areas, and some areas with 26% poverty. Um, so it was just uh, shocking to see uh, that they were getting paid that much to begin with. Um, And so then it kind of made me think, well, what kind of incentives does that make for who wants to be in public service? Um, If you're currently making, I don't know, 80,000 or 100,000 in in the LA area, um, you might be a little more income driven to get uh, to run for election and try to get that city council position 
you might be more income driven than you are public service driven. And I think that's possibly what we're seeing with these uh, members. Um, they, you know, they're, they're kind of, I think, giving the line of, well, we want to ride things out. We don't think it'd be appropriate at this time to, to try to, um, you know, step down. And it's important for us to heal together. And, you know, they're giving some talking points like that. But then I hear this 218000 per year plus the pension. And I'm like, hmm, maybe there's more to the story. And then another level of detail got even better, that they can't be fired, right? Because they were an elected official. And um, I think there's some good reasons for that. Maybe I'll let Peter talk on that of why we might want to not be able to fire uh, an elected official. Um, but one person is up in December, so they're just riding out a few months. But even a few months is, I think, I believe they said $18,000. Uh, I didn't do the math, but $18,000 a month or so. Uh, but the other person has like a year and a half left. And so they were talking over a half million dollars of income if they just uh, ride this thing out. Um, they haven't been able to go to meetings and other things uh, and really do their job because of the outrage at these uh, recordings that uh, they had um, done. And so this all kind of leads us to down this um, public choice path where do we have the right types of incentives in our political markets? Our political marketplace is sometimes what we like to say, or the political sphere, um, as opposed to the free market sphere that some people criticize. And so I think this is a clear example of where if something outrageous happens uh, in the private sector, then in most states anyway, you're uh, as an employer, you're more than well within your rights to just say you're fired. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe that could get challenged in court if they thought it was a wrongful firing. But um, that happens a lot quicker in the private sector. And, and, and time and time again, we see in the public sector that things get a little a little distorted. Yeah. Well, if you, if you want to compare and contrast like institutional incentives, there's a reason we don't worry about people being overpaid in free markets, uh, with the exception of some positions, which maybe I'll, I'll get to in a second. Uh, but most people don't worry that they're going to get into a job and be overpaid or that, you know, someone else is being overpaid in their, you know, at their workplace or something like that. And the reason we don't need to worry about that is... If someone is being paid more than the income that they bring into the business, net of the costs that they impose on the business to, like training costs or something like that, then the company will lose money. And if the company loses money, uh, as long as they're able to identify the source of that loss being the person being unproductive, they'll get rid of that person. And so maybe someone might be, uh, quote, unquote, overpaid for some limited amount of time. They don't quite make up for their productivity uh, or their productivity doesn't make up for, you know, what they're being paid uh, for a few months or maybe a small amount. But we wouldn't think that someone would be overpaid by hundreds of thousands of dollars for years and years. Uh, any business that does that is going to start running into pretty severe issues. Now, there's a few exceptions that people uh, get frustrated about. So like CEOs are one good example uh, where people think that CEOs tend to be overpaid. But there was just a, a recent study um, out of, I think, Denmark. Uh, about CEO pay, where it found that basically 12% of company profitability is CEO dependence. And so if you take 12% mm. of the profitability of the company, if that's greater than the CEO salary, then really there probably isn't much to worry about. And that's a minimum bar, by the way, that they found. It's not, not like a maximum. I guess at some companies, it's even a lot more depending on the CEO. And so you might think that CEOs are overpaid, 
but I would be suspicious if that were the case. If that were the case, by the way, anybody who had enough money to do so could buy the company, replace the CEO and increase its value by paying the CEO a proper amount or something like that. So hostile takeovers, things like that would allow you to get rid of that inefficient person. Now there's some cost to doing that or whatever. Uh, but the point is we'd expect a tendency towards everybody in markets being paid what they're worth. There's no such tendency uh, in government for this to happen because the government isn't trying to make a profit. That's not the purpose. In fact, uh, the government doesn't even draw revenues the way businesses draw revenues. Government doesn't have to convince people to buy a particular product. It's not like the LA City Council has to go door to door and get people to commit to be members of the LA City Council uh, protectorate or something like that. Uh, that's not what happens at all. Instead, people have to pay their taxes to the LA City Council and it actually doesn't matter how that re those revenues are used because the LA City Council can't go bankrupt, it can't go out of business. And so that incentive that you know destroys unproductive businesses and uh, basically gets rid of the people paid way too much money in private markets, that doesn't operate uh, in the government sphere at all. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the case of middle managers is good. A lot of companies, um, I think it was Warren Buffett who once said, uh, we know who's not, we know who's skinny dipping when the tide uh, comes uh, out, when the tide goes out, uh, meaning that the ups and downs of business, um, a lot of times people can be quote unquote overpaid when the economy's doing good and it, it might not be totally due to their own personal productivity. Uh, but then when uh, the tide goes out and times are tough, we buckle down and we start looking around like, okay, who's not being productive? Um, and so I think middle management um, in the private sector is one area where people get uh, stung with that, but there's a self-correcting mechanism, right? So that's what the free market does is we don't have uh, um, somebody from external outside the organization making that call. Um, those things correct themselves internally. And we don't have that same thing going on. Yeah. In fact, Russ, on this, like, interestingly, I did mention like there, we can imagine cases where someone's like overpaid and yeah, maybe when the economy is good, their recent high or something like that, that would be uh, the time where we'd worry. But the only way that can happen is if the company isn't able to accurately account for different incomes and costs being uh, imposed, <laughs> literally accounting. Uh, that's, this is the purpose of accounting is for businesses to be able to back out well, you know, what's bringing in our assets, what's bringing in our liabilities, uh, what part of the business is functioning properly, what part of the business isn't. Uh, that's why businesses keep track of profits and losses. And so Murray Rothbard, an economist, made an interesting point that for a long time, people worried about this idea that uh, businesses would con con continue to consolidate until there's only one business left and you would have like this super monopoly doing everything. Rothbard said that basically this was impossible. And the reason it was impossible is as you consolidate more and more, it becomes harder and harder to get accurate valuations of the business property you have, your capital, because no one's buying and selling capital if you're the only business in town. And so once you lose your ability to value your capital, you also lose your ability to figure out what your productivity is. You lose the ability to do accounting. Uh, if you can't account for your assets, then you, there's no way you can back out like what's causing profits, what's causing losses. Interestingly, we do have one type of organization that is pretty similar to this. That's <laughs> governments. Government capital is not bought and sold on markets. It's not like there's someone buying and selling tanks uh, out there, at least in like a very, uh, what we would consider to be a common sense of buying and selling. There's maybe some buying and selling going on, but the point is we don't regularly sell capital buildings uh, or, you know, we, we don't uh, sell intellectual property created by 
uh, different city councils or something like that. There's no real uh, good accounting that comes out of government because it doesn't buy and sell its capital like private businesses do. And so if anything, you know, those cases where we expect the private businesses would be unable to account for how much workers are worth or how much productivity they have, that problem would be all the worse in government positions. And so not only uh, is Russ right, it can happen, but it stops happening when things get lean. Uh, the opposite is true in government, where it can happen, and uh, we would expect it's going to continue to happen, even when things are lean, because there's just no accounting for uh, costs and benefits in a real sense in, in government settings. The uh, Rothbard argument sounds very similar to the arguments against communism, socialism, yeah. right? That, that you can't, if, but he's saying the kind of the natural growth of businesses acquiring other businesses will actually start to implode on itself. Yeah. But that's only true if the business doesn't somehow garner protection or favoritism maybe from the government or from the state uh, to kind of help protect it. Like they slowly morph together over time, which I think is um, uh, the idea of cronyism that we talk about of big business and big government playing kissy face. Is there a point where, um, yes, it would fail on itself if a competitor could come in and, um, you know, sharpen things up, but if that is restricted somehow because of state power, then we do tend to gravitate towards this sure. socialist communist concept, which eventually implodes on itself anyway. So I'm not getting away from the yeah. implosion, but it's in but it a, takes in a much longer time. Yeah, right? much longer time to get yeah. to that point where yeah. everything's there. Yeah, isn't the Rothbard argument more critique of bureaucracy um, in the sense that it, uh, you know, in a large bureaucratic organization? the transfers between um, divisions of the of the organization aren't market-based, right? Right, um, yeah, yeah. The, the point is that the institution of bureaucracy, which ultimately has to be the only thing that the company can use anymore, you're using bureaus inside your company rather than markets. Yeah. Uh, that, that gets uh, out of hand. And actually, this is very Kosian too, right? Uh, Kos's whole point is, well, his, his question is, why is it that firms operate bureaucratically why or in authoritarian ways too sometimes why do we have uh decisions being made at, at the ceo level rather than you know these different branches of the company like buying and selling for each other like a market in other words firms don't operate like markets they operate like hierarchies mm -hmm. and co says well the reason this is is because uh there are some costs to using markets but uh, as that cost to using markets falls, the Kosian argument is we should expect more markets. And so the Rothbard argument is kind of like a, a complementary argument here where he's saying that, well, if you get too big, then actually the benefit of being using a market is going to go up and up relative to using a bureaucracy. So, yeah, Justin, you're absolutely yeah. right. And uh, I, I think we're maybe name dropping too many famous economists yeah. here, but Macker Olson also talked about the sclerosis of collective action on how small groups, voluntary groups even, early on can be good and effective. And then as the bureaucracy grows, they kind of slowly get icky. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he used the word icky, but uh, uh, he had similar things to say about uh, bureaucracy. Yeah. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for our for our break. When we come back, um, I just can't get over how this sounds like a developing country problem, right? Get a government job and never be fired. And here it goes on in the United States. And I think we need to uh, think a little more carefully about how do we get there? Like, how does it turn into this? You know, what are some of the causes that 
lead us to having a situation where the uh, council people are are making uh, definitely more. I don't I don't think it can even be questioned if they're paying, being paid seventy thousand more than San Francisco. I believe San Francisco cost of living is even slightly higher than LA area. So I I don't think there's any question of this kind of overpayment concept. Well, well, how do they get there? When we come back, I'm gonna play devil's advocate and argue that they're not overpaid. All right, perfect. We'll be back in just a bit. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for free enterprise education and helping students become their best. We had a successful outing with our high school event, uh, PPE Fest. We had 33 high school students come do some afternoon activities, which exposed them to our new PPE League, an intercollegiate competition. We had fun with them discussing Jim Gortney's book, Common Sense Economics, as well as Dr. Justin Clark leading them through the trolley problem. After that, we had a dinner speaker event where Dr. Jim Gortney was our keynote speaker. And we wrapped things up with great feedback from the students that they enjoyed what they did. So if you have high school students that are interested in investigating a school like ours, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. All right, so the somewhat cliffhanger, um, I just thought, jeepers, I hate when the United States sounds like developing country. Um, I've been to India where there was once a law in the books that it was uh, the in order to hedge unemployment, they just made firing people illegal <laughs> in India. That is no longer on the books, but it's still a little unwritten. And um, certainly people seek government employment because that still is somewhat the standard. You know, once something is embedded culturally, it's kind of hard to overcome, even if the law uh, is overturned. And so people seek government employment for those reasons, for easy jobs. I think to some degree, that maybe had been true in the past with um, the United States, but I, I think in real terms, um, government positions aren't as well paid as maybe they used to be 30, 40 years ago. I'm really speaking ad hoc on that, but that's what I would suspect um, as has gone on. And so it was quite, quite shocking to find that the LA council people are making $35,000 more than the governor, Gavin Newsom, in their state. I mean, it's just mind boggling. Um, I, we're traveling down with students to Guatemala again, and Guatemala is unfortunately um, subject to corruption issues in, in a variety of ways. Their uh, officials and other people um, uh, are subject to getting bribes and favoritism. And uh, it's one of the things that's really holding Guatemala back. Um, it's probably right at the top of the list. There's a lot of other things that Guatemala does great in terms of economic freedom, uh, but that's a, a big shortcoming and one that's really tough to overcome. And so when we see issues like this bubble up in the United States, it just kind of shocks me on how did we even get there is where I where I left it. And I think rational ignorance is the term we use in economics that just says, hey, voters aren't going to stay informed because it's not in their best interest to do so. Why should I stay informed about uh, a political issue when my vote basically doesn't count. Um, at local elections, it starts to count a little more. There's probably been some elections where it comes down to one vote or so, or where your vote feels at least uh, more meaningful. Um, certainly, you can be more of an activist locally, and there's other incentives that make it uh, potentially function better. Um, but nonetheless, most people stay uh, relatively uninformed about political issues, whether that's at the city, state, or national level. And they're doing it in a rational way. It just it doesn't make sense. They have better things to do with their time. 
So the benefits of staying informed about the issues don't outweigh the cost of staying informed. And so they are uninformed. So I can't imagine um, when, or I, I can imagine when things like, well, I think our city council pay should be increased. You know, there's been uh, cost of living adjustments. You know, LA is an expensive place to live for housing and we have to make sure we take care of our council people. So let's let's vote for a 10% pay raise. And uh, all those in favor, aye, 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 you know, and there's no voters to contest it because as a fraction of their property tax with 18 million people in the uh, county area that they represent, it's a relatively small blip on the pro the increase in property tax that a 10% increase pays. So then my guess is, again, not looking at the data that it's 10% here, 15% here, 5% here. Before you know it, we're up to 218,000 and nobody knows why. Um, so that's my rational ignorance blurb. But Peter, you think this is justified somehow? Huh? No, I don't, but I can make an argument. All right, devil's advocate. Here we go. I think uh, negative income is probably closer to what the real price should be. But uh, <laughs> let's let's make the argument. So I, I think there's a few different uh, decent arguments for why the pay should be so high. First, we know because of public choice things that these employees are going to have an incentive to do a bad job or to shirk, uh, to be lazy. And so one way you could encourage people to not be lazy is by giving them a salary that's way too high and then make them afraid to lose it. And so if you do a bad job in the city council uh, and you get voted out, you lose the salary that you'll never make on the private market because your skills aren't that you know, uh, valuable. So that's one. I actually think even a better argument is this. Russ, you mentioned all these corrupt countries, Guatemala, whatever. Uh, I... I think that one of the common features actually of these corrupt countries is that politicians are paid very little. And so because politicians are paid very little, they use their position to get more money. Mm -hmm. And so actually what you would- And they expect it going right. into it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so actually what you would expect is if you pay politicians more money, they're going to have <laughs> less incentive to be corrupt because they're not going to have to go out and seek out you know, people to get bribes basically to do their job in order to be paid a lot of money. So the, the full argument is something like, in a city like Los Angeles, which would maybe be the most difficult city to be on uh, you know, a city council for, apart from maybe New York City or San Francisco, these are maybe the top three in the country in terms of difficulty with current situations. You want people who are high paid so they're not lazy and not corrupt. And so that, that's the, the pro argument here. That's your piece and you're sticking to it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it does raise a question of maybe the lack of being able to fire them is more of the problem than the high pay. Maybe the high pay has evolved over time for whatever reason. I, um, and again, I'm playing my own devil's advocate at this point because I think it's unjustifiably high due to probably rational ignorance issues. But that said, um, if we had a rule to where they offended uh, through their speech or otherwise. Um, a lot of even private contracts, uh, including Auto University says, if we engage in behavior that's not consistent with our mission, they usually leave it pretty vague, um, that potentially it, it leaves us open for uh, ultimately firing or, or some other sort of um, consequences. And apparently here with the city council, there's no mechanism. So imagine if the rule instead was, if you engage in behavior that's unbecoming to a city council person or something, 
then maybe we'd throw it back to a special vote to see if we could vote them out of there. My understanding is these folks are rock solid. There's no way to get them out of office for that 15 months. And uh, I think that's part of the problem and part of the rub here. So maybe changing in the institution, the law or the way that's administered um, could be changed if not dropping pay. Uh, Luke, what were you thinking? Well, to go wrong, it kind of ties into that rational ignorance and that maybe voters will be upset for a day or two and then they'll be like, okay, yeah, you know, five <laughs> goes on. Yeah. But isn't there not an option to recall them? Do you know, have a vote? They, they said there is the option of a recall, but the recall would be to see if the other person actually won. So it was basically a nothing burger. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, that was the only mechanism and it was really nothing that was feasible to get them out. Now, Justin, we're anxiously awaiting your comments on getting rid of both Peter and I's arguments here. What are you thinking? Uh, well, Russ, I listened to you describe the situation and you talked about the story and how, uh, you know, there was these racist remarks by one of the council members and then, uh, you know, they resigned, but the other two people on the call didn't resign. And then you found out how much money these people were making and you were shocked, right? Um, and I admit that I too was shocked, but I wasn't shocked by the story. I was shocked that you were shocked. Uh, <laughs> nothing about this story is even remotely shocking to me. Um, the idea that uh, city council members in LA, um, that there might be some that are bad people um, and that uh, some that are racist, right? Um, that's not shocking to me. What also isn't shocking to me is that they would get caught saying racist things on tape and that there would be you know, this demand for them to resign. The one thing that I do think is amazing, though, is that notice that this is kind of a, um, you know, another example of what I would call the map versus territory problem. Mm. Los Angeles is a colossally mismanaged city. There are tent cities on the beach. There are people being assaulted. There are, you know, essentially open air I mean, it's like San Francisco in the in the sense where there are open air drug, um, you know, areas where you can do drugs and people dying on the streets from drug overdoses. There's tent cities underneath overpasses. Skid Row is famously in Los Angeles. Um, right. None of that is the reason that these city council members get in trouble. It's because they get caught saying something on tape that is, uh, you know, very, very uh, upsetting. Right. And um, and I agree that what, uh, what that uh, city council member said was upsetting. But I do think in the grand scheme of things that the colossal mismanagement of Los Angeles is a more egregious offense. Um, so, uh, but again, knowing California, that's not surprising that, that that's the case. And also, you know, um, California is not some shining example of fiscal responsibility. So <laughs> I would completely expect this uh, this kind of um pay situation to to happen in, in Los Angeles. So uh, yeah, I, th I think those are my comments that um, I don't find any of this shocking. There was a good, you know, um, Lou Rockwell way back during the uh, Iraq war, uh, he used to say that um, his rule was to always believe the literal opposite of whatever the federal government told you. And he said, you know, you're not always going to be right if you do this. You're, um, but on balance, you're going to come out ahead. Um, and I kind of feel that way about uh, about government too. That um, if you just assume that the people in government are corrupt, you're not going to be right all the time. But you are going to be surprised 
less often than you would be if you think like, I can't believe this is happening in the United States. Of course it's happening in the United States. Um, I don't know a time when this didn't happen in the United States. And I think it's only rose colored glasses looking backward that make us think um, that there was a time when this didn't happen. You know, if you look back to, um, you know, the, uh, the machines running the political institutions in large cities from, you know, Kennedy's dad uh, in Chicago. Um, yeah. So I, I think this has always been a feature of the, the U.S. And um, if you just expect it, um, you're not going to be surprised as often. Um, although you might, again, be surprised that other people are surprised. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Glad, I'm glad Justin agrees with me then, since he didn't. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I do want to make, make a comment. Uh, the thing that was actually most surprising to me was that other cities aren't paid as much as that. Like when I heard L.A. and I thought about corruption, I'm like, I'm surprised New York City hasn't found a way to get a half a million for their city. Yeah, people yeah or I know. Like that. That's what surprised me, too. Is, yeah. um, maybe, according to your point, Peter, maybe they just are more corrupt and they're getting that money on the side. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it would be interesting, though. Uh, I mean, that that always leads to the question is like, why one and not the other then? Um, <laughs> the implication would be maybe that L.A. is better managed and less corrupt than New York, which actually could be true, but it, it <laughs> like obviously can't be that true. Uh, so there, there's something kind of funny here going on, and I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, but so, so Justin, you, you agree with my, uh, thesis that we should pay city council members millions of dollars a month. Oh, now you're doing a little Mott and Bailey thing where <laughs> earlier you said it was just, uh, I could put an argument forward. I don't necessarily believe it, but, uh, here's the argument. And now it seems like you're saying you actually believe it. That's a hundred percent certain. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made me think a couple things as you're talking as usual, Justin. And one is that, uh, the correlation between LA tent cities and developing countries, right? In developing countries is where we see shacks, tents, uh, mobile uh, covering, you know, or what are shelters of some sort. And, uh, but yet you have some elite rich. And I think LA is a kind of a prime example of that. The, the separation between the rich and the poor so you've got these tent cities and then you've got Hollywood and the, the largest mansions and incomes you could imagine. So there's at least a little bit of um, correlation there. And, and does that fall back to the institution of government being a contributing factor? I think it's even worse, right? In developing countries, you have this, uh, this inequality and uh, vast a distinction going on because the country is getting richer, but some people are getting richer at a much higher rate, right? Uh, but that's not what's happening in LA. It's the movement in the other direction. It's not like everybody in LA was in tent cities and now some people aren't. Um, mm -hmm. It's right. that uh, it, the opposite, you know, it has devolved. Yeah. Yeah. I, the second thing was that um, it's bad actors will find the government sector to be maybe an, uh, I hate to use the word safe haven, but a easy prey, let's say, for bad actors to use the fact that we have rational ignorance and blah, 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 and that that's a place where they can, can find yeah. uh, some easy money or a role to do their bad behavior in different ways. So, all right. Well, any last words on on this particular topic. Nope. Once again, it seems like we've solved most of life's problems here, or at least raised the issues on, on them. So 
this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. Otherwise, uh, pass this along to your friends and family that might like to listen as well. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. Thank you.